Hello and welcome to Alien Places, the show where I ask guests which three places they would show an alien visitor to give it a sense of the key issues facing human society. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Megan McCubbin, a zoologist and campaigner, wildlife TV presenter. She's passionate about the wildlife trade in particular, the illegal wildlife trade. Um, she is the co-founder of Wildlife Rebellion and uh, currently broadcasting daily through the Self-Isolating Bird Club. So welcome, Megan. Hi, thank you very much for having me on. I can't wait to talk about all the places my aliens are going to go. <laughs> yeah, great. So yeah, you've, you've thought of your uh, three alien places. But before we start, can you tell us a bit more about um, who you are and what you do? I know that you went to university and did a zoology degree. I did. So I've been passionate about wildlife and um, the environment for as long as I can remember from as long as I could you know walk on the ground crawl on the ground I was just infatuated with the world around me and um, so for me it was just a natural progression to want to study it even more in a, in a bigger depth so I went to the University of Liverpool I did um, I actually for, at the beginning I wanted to be an actress to be totally honest and um, so I, I didn't get I didn't choose the right GCSEs so uh, I, I went and then did a foundation year in biological science that enabled me to then go on to do my zoology degree. Um, so I was at the University of Liverpool for five years studying. Um, I did uh, primarily there I looked at kind of behaviour, I looked at marine biology and lots of different fields and found what I was really interested in. Um, for me, predator, predators have always been you know really high up there I've loved how you know their stealth their strength how they move and interact with their environment how they shape the populations below them and keep control of an environment I find them absolutely fascinating so I've been really lucky to um have a relationship with the Wild Heart Trust on the Isle of Wight which rescue uh, ex-circus tigers and lions and um uh, animals from the pet trade as well so I've been lucky to like help rehabilitate them and um it's just kind of grown from there really yeah, great. And uh, you've also done some TV presenting. So can you give us a few examples of things that you've presented in recent years? Sure. So, um, yeah, I, so I came out of my degree and uh, like anyone is kind of unsure of exactly what they want to do. But I got the opportunity to film for a BBC Three documentary called Undercover Tourist. Um, and this was looking at how tourists could easily come across issues uh, that are facing wildlife with the illegal wildlife trade how easily accessible are these issues to people who are just traveling to these countries um, and i had previously done some work with animals asia an amazing organization that rescue bears from the illegal bear bile trade um, so i suggested why don't we do an episode on bear bile so i went to vietnam and we were only there for about a week 10 days or so um, and we filmed this episode for bbc3 which just explored the issues and um how we can kind of encourage bear bar farming to come to an end and uh yeah it, it was really good and since that point i've been doing um with various other projects i've presented for Earthrise on al jazeera looking at uh, the impact of chewing gum as a plastic pollutant also looking at social movements like Extinction Rebellion, how effective are they? Are they the way forward? Um, since that point, I've, I've become a big fan of Extinction Rebellion. I've been involved with them since uh, almost the very start and getting involved in all their actions and have since created Wildlife Rebellion, which is kind of a, a family friendly rebellion, which is all positive, um, nothing illegal or uh, everything will be authorised uh, to highlight the loss of biodiversity. Yeah, and of course, um, your uh, stepdad is the one and only Chris Packham. And um, uh, I understand that uh, as you were growing up, you were behind the scenes traveling the world with Chris as he was doing his broadcasts. 
Yes, yeah. I mean, that is probably where everything started. He, I met him when I was two years old. Um, he used to put jam on my nose to encourage butterflies and wasps and whatever else to come and land on my nose to lick things off it. Um, so, yeah, I had a, a very up close and personal relationship with lots of animals. I, my bedroom was like, honestly, it was uh, very different from what you'd imagine a, a young girl's bedroom to be like. I had warthog skulls, cockroaches, tortoises, you know, the fluffy things as well, rabbits and gerbils, but praying mantis and porcupine quills and everything everywhere so um I've yeah noticed that, um, i've noticed that chris talks a lot about animal poo how old were you when he first introduced you to uh, fresh animal poo oh goodness like as young as i can remember we he would always kind of you know smell this have a look in this what is this thing <laughs> so i learned to identify animals qu pretty quickly based on their poos and it's and you know you do get a lot of useful valuable information from it so i've come to um i don't maybe love poo as much as he does i don't get quite mm. the same excitement from it but i see the value in it <laughs> yes yes there's there's genuine scientific value in animal poo isn't there i mean it's a way of monitoring which species are in certain areas so um nothing nothing wrong with poo uh, that's, that's it's all good all good yeah <laughs> um so from poo to aliens um so you've thought about your um, three places that you'd show an alien visitor to give it a sense of the key issues facing human society. Um, so uh, let's go straight into the first place. So where's the first place that you would show an alien visitor? Well, this is one that I really struggled with because, you know, I wanted to show it the very best of biodiversity, the very best of the beauty of our planet. And there is so much beauty within it. Do you take it to Antarctica to see the penguins and the whales? Do you take it to a rainforest to see, I don't know, like the dart frogs or the amazing birds of paradise? Where, I mean, where would you take Elliot to showcase everything? And I thought, well, there is only one place, well, a couple places on Earth, um, depending on where you're located, where actually there is a showcase of all of this life and all of this diversity under one roof. And that is, of course, the Natural History Museum, which is where I mm. pretty much spent most of my time as a child in awe yeah. of um, Dippy the Diplodocus and every, mm. all the other amazing, you know, skeletons and um, fossils and things. Uh, so, yeah, it's everything there under one roof. So that's where I take my alien. Great. OK, so you've, you've got a few hours at the Natural History Museum with an alien visitor. Um, which sections would you take it to? Which, which particular things would you point out? Have you got any particular exhibits in mind within the Natural History Museum? Well, I'd like to show how Earth evolved, um, how life evolved on Earth so that it could get an understanding of who, A, who we are um, and how, how things work. Because I imagine an alien coming down can be quite confused for all these different life forms and how they function. So it really gives uh, a good understanding of, um, you know, the wonder that we have on this planet. Maybe I go, I don't know, um, I would say deep sea, but for, an, I mean, that's unusual for us, but for an alien, everything's going to be unusual. So I'd maybe start off in the early, early years and start off with the dinosaurs and work our way forward and showcase, you know, the science and our capabilities in that way. So to start with Dippy and his old friends and, <laughs> and, and go forward and talk about, you know, the functions of our earth and how it all, how it all comes together to produce such amazing life. Yeah, and it might be interesting for the aliens to hear about our evolutionary path here on Earth because the evolutionary paths and directions of the aliens' planet may have been very different to our own. So um, it'd be interesting to hear from the alien what are the similarities, what are the differences. Exactly. You could learn a lot from an alien. And uh, yeah, I think we could, by sharing the science that we have in our Natural History Museum and potentially the alien can input some wisdom their own planet or universe, wherever they happen to be from, then we can, um, you know, I don't know, come up with some amazing ideas and theories and help one another to discover more, perhaps. 
Yeah, well, I do know from having taken the alien around uh, the world 10 places myself recently, um, I know that it's bound by the um, legal frameworks of the Interplanetary Ethical Council. So there's only so much it can reveal about its own planet, um, but I'm sure it can accidentally drop a few nuggets of wisdom to pass on to our species. Yeah, a few hints would be quite nice. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quite, it's hard to get out of the alien, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's you know, it does, it's not, it, you've, got to, you've got to work hard to get this information out of our alien. Work your um, charm, okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, so new to the podcast from 2020 is the option to play the alien a song, show the alien a film in each of your three places. Um, so I know that you've thought about this. So um, what would be the song that you would play the alien at the Natural History Museum? This one was a no brainer, really. It was my favourite song growing up. It is iconic in so many ways. And that is, of course, Disney's 1994 animation film, The Lion King, with the song Circle of Life. Is there anything oh, better? Oh, brilliant. <laughs> Circle of Life, excellent. So from The Lion King, so um, with all the animals on, on the African plains, brilliant. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Talking about how everything's interconnected and we're all kind of one environment together and, you know, you take one out and the whole system collapses and it's all about how, you know, interconnected we are and how important those connections are between us. So it's beautiful song. <laughs> well, the aliens um, sat right here with me and it's, it's heartened to hear that, um, that you're playing at that song and you're aware of those connections. So, um, so uh, that's great. <laughs> And um, what about a film that you would show the alien in the Natural History Museum? Maybe you could find a corner, an empty room, and um, sit down with a tablet or, uh, or a laptop and play the alien a film. Which, which film would you show the alien? This one's a little bit more serious. So this is a documentary that came out in 2015. It's something called Racing Extinction. It's something that when I first watched, it was, uh, you know, it, it's difficult to... Uh, see in a way because it's it's highlighting how us as humans are having an impact on biodiversity but it's so beautifully filmed um and it's an oscar-winning film as well it's just you know it really highlights the the struggles that our wildlife is um experiencing um but it also you know it is incredibly beautiful the way it's filmed the stories from all over the planet um but it also gives a little bit of hope as well about how we can change our ways so I, that's what i'd show the alien racing extinction yeah, that's great. And, um, you know, well, when I was talking with the alien uh, towards the end of our world tour, when, when we went around 10 places, it, it eventually re revealed to me that one of the reasons it was visiting our planet was because it considered humans to be at risk of extinction and it considered itself a conservation volunteer. Um, so, so not only is um, a lot of wildlife on Earth endangered, but from an alien's perspective, humans are also endangered and at risk of extinction as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, from our own actions, we are certainly putting ourselves, you know, at major, major risk. And it's something, you know, that we should be thinking more about and be more concerned about. So from an alien's point of view, yeah, I mean, thank you for coming and volunteering to help us and show us the way. We need a bit of help sometimes, clearly. Yep, yep. So it's an inter interplanetary conservation volunteer. Um, I volunteer. I'd like yeah. to volunteer on another planet that'd be great <laughs> yeah yeah well that's uh, yeah it's um it's it's doing like one of those sort of conservation holidays you know when you sort of pay the organization you know maybe you have to pay a few hundred pounds to uh to, to go with an organization to do some conservation volunteering overseas that's basically what the alien's doing uh right here on earth so uh yeah <laughs> so what about your second place then what's the second place that you would show an alien visitor well, I really wanted to show you the very best and the very worst of humanity because humanity um, is what is kind of causing this environmental collapse, the you know loss of biodiversity. So I really wanted to show 
you know, how, how we treat one another, um, because I think that's really fundamental in the understanding of how our life works. Um, and I think one of the saddest things that humans are doing to one another, of course, is, um, is part of this refugee crisis. You know, we know that 65.6 um, million people as of 2017 have been forcibly displaced worldwide because of either persecution, conflict, violence, human rights violations, um, climate crisis and various other things. So we've got these high concentrations of people that are having to move from their homes. They don't necessarily want to. Um, it's something that, you know, they are being forced to do. Um, and we are kind of closing our borders and making it incredibly difficult for these people to start a new life. And I think that kind of showcases the very worst of humanity, that we're able to turn a blind eye to these types of things um, and not care for one another. Because if we can't care for one another, then how are we supposed to care for our environment and the way that we treat our planet? Um, so that is something that's really, really difficult. And that is, I'd say for me, one of the worst parts of humanity. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's it's interesting to um, to, to, to hear that for, for, for an alien, perhaps, because the alien may be picking up from what you've just said, that um, it's not just that humans are treating other species badly, but also humans are treating its own species in, in, in strange and awful ways. And um, that, that might be quite confusing and worrying for an alien. And, and I think the alien's done some research before coming here. And I think that that's probably one of the examples that is concerning for a, a, another species looking in at our planet. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a bewildering thing the way that we treat one another, and um, and if we can you know learn to treat one another better, then you know that that will be replicated throughout the way that we treat our environment. You know, all of these you know things have a major um, implication on our environment. You know, this mass movement of humans, it, it goes to show that we are having to mass move because of the climate crisis because we are pumping so much CO two into that area, or we're fighting with one another over. I don't know, resources and things like this. So, you know, it goes to show how valuable these resources are to us, but also the fact that we really need to be thinking critically about the way that we're pumping carbon into our environment um, and, and move towards a more renewable, sustainable way of um, using energy. The, the alien is, um, I communicate with the alien telepathically and it's, it's asking me your views on population and, and human overpopulation as well, because, because a lot of people think that, um, the overpopulation of our species is underpinning a lot of our environmental problems. And this is perhaps an example where it's also directly underpinning some of our refugee issues as well. Absolutely. Um, so we are overly populated. We know that there are a lot of us, but the main thing to take into consideration here is not so much the number of us, but it's the way that we consume these resources. So for us, for, for you know, the people, us in the UK, the USA, areas which are kind of more affluent, we are consuming at such a rate that I think it's about 2.5 Earths we'd need mm. to to manage our habits and um, you know and for us in the UK and the US we are having significantly less children than those in developing countries such as Africa and India they have a lot more children but they are consuming less and um, so it's you know the most damaging thing is this consumption we need to really kind of think about that but the most important I'm thing glad you mentioned the, um, the, the the multiple earths by the way because that's why I've actually got two globes here um, so I've got I've got I've got two globes in in, uh, in, in my flat here to, to make that point about kind of we actually consuming the resources not just of one planet but of two planets um, yeah. and um, that's just a, a simple visual representation for those that um, 
uh, well, this, this is obviously a, a, a podcast, but some, I'm sure you can imagine that, that you know, the, the, the image of two planets that we're actually consuming worth of resources, yeah. We only have one planet. We're a finite planet. There's not m anything more that we can take. So we've got to really kind of look at our consumption. But also education is key when you're talking about overpopulation. We know that particularly the education of women reduces birth rate. Um, so we need to kind of pump up education in, in all these kind of areas and provide better opportunities for, for people. That's right, because a lot of people sort of worry when we talk about human overpopulation that, oh, how do we reduce it without inhumane methods? But actually, like you say, the simple... Um, availability of education throughout the world across all um, different types of people particularly women um, actually means that when when uh, females are fully educated in less developed countries they generally choose to not have huge families um, and so it's a perfectly um, uh, humane way of reducing the human population in the long term Absolutely. We know that restrictions on birth rate doesn't work. We know that, you know, the China's one policy didn't work. The mutations in India didn't work. It was a, you know, a very brutal, difficult thing. And um, so, yeah, I mean, education is key. We've seen a, you know, a significant trend that when, you know, young women are educated, they're more career focused and therefore less focused on um, having larger families. So um, yeah, education is a, is the way forward um, as well as consuming less. <laughs> Mm, yeah. Absolutely. So uh, which song would you play the alien at the refugee camp in Calais? It's a, it's a song which actually came to my mind straight away when I had the idea of taking the, uh, the alien here. It's a song by Flora Cash called For Someone. It's a very sweet song. It's very endearing and it's about kind of waiting for someone to come back. And it just, I don't know, it kind of hit home for me. It's a lovely, beautiful song in a very kind of a sad way in this instance. But yeah. Okay, so it sort of represents the issues that we've been talking about. Um, and uh, what about the film that you would show the alien in this, your second of the three alien places? I would show the alien, again, it's another documentary. Um, it was produced in 2017 by a German documentary film producer called um, A. Wee Wee. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, it's called Human Flow. Um, and it really covers the kind of the topics of the global refugee crisis. I think it's filmed over 20 countries. They had multiple film crews all over the place, but it's and visually it's stunning the way that they filmed it. But it really kind of hits home about the personal impact that this human migration is having. It takes note of these stories as people kind of are moving through these countries. Um, and it's shot really simply on kind of iPhones and cameras and things. And it's, um, yeah, it's really, really well done. It's an important yeah. watch. Excellent. Okay. Um, so what about the third place? What's the third place that you would show an alien visitor? Well, I wanted to kind of counteract the kind of refugee crisis and bring it somewhere, um, you know, really positive and um, somewhere for me that is really positive. I mean, they say there's no place like home. So I would bring the alien to my family home with my family. Um, so it gets a feel of how we actually can love one another. Um, I mean, for me and my family, we're very kind of environmentally active. So we go out into the garden and do what we can to make it environmentally friendly. So we try and promote as much biodiversity in as possible, um, planting wildflowers, we feed the birds, sunflower hearts, all these kind of things to encourage wildlife into our garden. And it shows just how beautiful human relationships can be. Um, but it also shows that kind of willingness to connect with our natural world as well and that, that desire to. So that's where I take it. I take it home. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So it's, it's nice to have a kind of a different scale of, um, uh, of human interactions that you're referring to across the three places. So uh, you, you've talked about the sort of wildlife side of things at the Natural History Museum, uh, the sort of international issue of refugees. 
um, and then also the sort of small family unit. And um, what, what sort of things would you do with the alien in your family home? Would you play some board games with the alien? What other things would you kind of get the alien involved with a bit of cooking maybe? I know that's a bit of an issue for um, uh, your current uh, residence with uh, certain Mr. Chris Packham giving you pot noodles this morning, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not the best cook he's not the best cook. maybe the alien could you know if he's willing to share some wisdom on his cooking from his planet it'd be great um that's a good question i mean i could try and teach the alien to play monopoly um but i don't know do you know i'd probably we've, we're really lucky where we are that we've got kind of woodland next door so i take the alien for a walk in the woods um take my two poodles sid and nancy along as well and um, we just go for a dog walk and maybe see we've got a sparrow hawk that keeps popping up around at the moment um, so maybe try and find the sparrowhawk or we try and find um, um or we try and find the badger set there's a really active badger set um, and we'd sit and wait for the badgers to come out and just kind of enjoy being in one another's company again showcasing you know how good human relationships can be and how well we can treat one another um as well as how you know great it is to interact with our environment also you know highlighting how important interacting with our environment is on our mental health too yeah, yeah, and sort of interacting with the environment on that very local level, as well as um, thinking about kind of the species all over the world that you've learned about at the Natural History Museum. Um, also, the, the, the species on your doorstep, like the sparrowhawk, you know, some really impressive species we've got here in the southern England with um, the new forest on, on, on the doorstep in your case. And um, uh, yeah, so what about the, um, the song that you would play the alien? Because, you know, you're at home, you've got your sound system set up, you know, it's a, it's a good place to play the alien some music, which would be the, uh, the main song that you would play the alien in this particular place. Well, this is a song that I grew up listening to. This is, um, you know, Chris Packham, my stepdad, he's a, a, you know, a very big punk rocker. So he's got <laughs> you know, hundreds and hundreds of records of all these punk punk things and most of them uh, you know I, I i can't listen to very well but and um, there is a few that stick out for me that are very special to me it's one that he used to play all the time when i was growing up but it's also one that i think it just showcases human relationships really well and that is from the cure and it's called friday i'm in love which was produced in 1992. yeah brilliant yeah okay and um uh what about the alien film night in your home you've got you've got your sofas there you've got your tv nice and cozy in your family unit uh, what would be the film that you would show the alien at home? Well, I am a very, very big fan of sci-fi. Huge, huge fan. I will watch alien films, zombie films, everything all the time. You know, the the more kind of, uh, I don't know, apocalyptic, the better um, in that sense. But I felt like if I was going to be sat next to an alien, I wouldn't want to insult the alien by our depiction of what aliens are and how aggressive they are. Because if he's come around me, I've taken him to three places. He must be, you know, a nice person. So, mm. um, you know, yeah, he hasn't vaporized you or anything. So you must be fine. Exactly. So I feel like I would show him our, a lovely interpretation of what aliens, you know, or what we thought aliens were anyway. Um, and that is, of course, E.T. It is a classic film and it's just mm. heartwarming. You know, the young boy who, um, you know, befriends an alien, hides him in his closet. I think that's just something very, very sweet about that. And it's a metaphor, of course, as well, because, you know, um, it's a case of kind of not understanding something doesn't necessarily mean we don't have to love it. And um, just because we're, it's something we're not familiar with, whether that be people of different cultures, whether it be different food, whether it be, um, you know, different countries, different things like that, we should be kind of embracing it and learning from one another and helping one another more and being kinder. That's the message I take from E.T. anyway. Yeah, I think the alien is um, heartened to know that in that film, E.T., there are humans that can accept its alien presence without being afraid. I mean, in the film, if I remember correctly, some of the humans, the more the, on the adult side of 
humanity were kind of afraid of the alien, but it was the kids, wasn't it? It was Elliot, I think, um, who was uh, befriending the alien. And uh, the alien is uh, just telling me telepathically that um, it has certain abilities in common with the alien in the E.T. film as well. So they both can do telekinesis, so moving objects um, uh, from a distance and that kind of thing. So um, um, I don't think he knows that particular alien he's telling me, but, um, but he's certainly got a few things in common with the alien from E.T. Oh, maybe he can look them up in the address book when he gets back home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I think there's the phone book issue, isn't there, in the E.T. film? Yeah. Some, something about phoning home. So, <laughs> home exactly. E.T.'s on there. He's on the books. <laughs> yeah, great. Okay, so um, so we've we've gone through the three places and the songs and films that you'd show the alien in each place. Is there any kind of final kind of overarching thought or final message that you'd like to leave the like the aliens to leave with as it as it flies back to its own planet? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of different things, but I think the most important thing for me is kind of be open and considerate about your environment. When you go outside, don't just spend time out there, but really connect with it. Open your ears, open your nose, open your senses, open everything, and just really, you know, listen and hear and take in everything because that is how we learn to love something. And once we learn to love it, we then learn to protect it. So yeah, that would be what I'd say is just to be, just to kind of be more open um, and allow our environment to have an impact on us. Okay, yeah, so be more open and, uh, and sort of stay open-minded as well, yeah. Great. So, new to 2020 as well with the podcast, it's the option of alien actions, and I understand that you've been working on designing a, an alien head, um, uh, and uh, you're going to at some point post a, uh, a picture of you with the alien head that you design and um, uh, say a positive environmental action that you've done in that place. So, um, have you got in mind a particular positive environmental action that you'll be doing as part of alien actions? I do. So one thing that I really kind of encourage people to do is to put holes in their fences. I know that sounds really silly, um, but it's really, really important. You know, much of in the UK, much of our land space is made up of gardens, um, which is a really valuable resource in many ways for lots of different animals. But there's many animals, things like hedgehogs that are unable to distribute effectively because they are enclosed in fences. So um, what I'm asking people to do is go into their garden, be a bit rebellious, put a little hole in your fence um, to allow a better distribution for species like the hedgehog, which is in significant decline, um, to allow it to uh, have more freedom of movement, to go to the resources that it needs, find the mates that it needs to, in order to safeguard its future. It's really important to put holes in your fences. It's really small, it doesn't have to be a big hole just a little something that people can do to encourage that. Yeah, so you're not encouraging uh, fence vandalism here, you're encouraging a very small con controlled hole at the bottom of the fence to allow the hedgehogs and other species to, to move between gardens. Because as you say, um, if, if there aren't holes in fences, then you're effectively creating an island and an isolated patch. And so although you might have some wildlife in your particular patch, if it can't connect with the wildlife in the other patches then it's effectively going to die out within that within that patch so um uh, by connecting all the gardens together you're effectively creating one connected massive area of habitat for our wildlife exactly that exactly that. we need bigger ecosystems not small microcosms we need to expand our gardens let them be connected and that will just go such a long way in securing you know the future of things like the hedgehog Great. Well, I look forward to seeing that on, uh, on social media. And uh, Megan McCubbin, thank you very much for sharing with us your three alien places. Thank you very much for having me.